I'm CIA, Chartered Institute of Accountants. I do Mr. Drax's books. Well, I hope I get double entry. Now, that's not in Moonraker, but it bloody should be. This is 1979 Bond, and in a way, it begins the kind of... um, the comedy moments, the kind of zeitgeist moments that um, were to dog films like um, For Your Eyes Only and Octopussy, the next two rather more execrable movies that came. Um, But this one is rather a success. Now, they were supposed to make For Your Eyes Only, For Your Eyes Only, darling, but Cubby Broccoli, having understood and seen Star Wars and thought, you know, this is this is something we something somewhere we need to be, so we need something in space. Now he's only a few years late. You know, this is 1979. So he's a few years behind the times, isn't he? Just a couple. But this movie, because it's not just about being in space, is actually rather good. That's because of some very nice moments. Now, first of all, a bit about Roger Moore. He is, by this time, looking as if he's rather behind the times. A bit like Cubby. Rather behind the times. He does look like he's ageing here. And, you know, the safari suits and that kind of thing, although we're still in the 70s, are not really de rigueur at this time. So... It is a bit odd, um, and he is just beginning to look a little too off the pace, actually. But there are some lovely moments in this. You know, first of all, you've got Challenger, really. So you have a spaceship on the back of a rocket, and they make good use of that right from the beginning. It's hokum about... um, a Drax Industries um, Moonraker you know a, a space shuttle really which is um, captured no wreckage has been found so they go to have a look at that and that brings him into the orbit of Hugo Drax who's the um, the uh, titan of industry himself and then we have an even bigger plot about him being a sort of having a sort of Noah kind of um, concept, really starting life again in space on a space station he's created, which you can't see because it's got a cloaking device, can't see it from from Earth, and he's taken all sorts of lovely physical specimen two by two men and women to propagate the species. He doesn't have to conform to that, of course. He is a rather overweight, um, dark-haired, probably dyed-haired gentleman, but he's proved himself, goddammit. That's the basic storyline, isn't it? But there are some lovely moments in this. And I think probably chief among them is um, Michael Lonsdale's wonderful performance as Drax. Now, I always think that, you know... You've got to go for something with a villain. You know, 
we can do the kind of headlines of this. So you've got Gert Frober going for the childishness of, of Goldfinger. You've got Christopher Walken going for the psychotic nature. In uh, View to a Kill. And then you've got, oh, you've even got Javier Bardem going for the kind of um, homoerotic and wounded kind of character. You need to go for something. Even if it might not work, it will work because it's you're trying something. If you don't try something, that's the issue. And I'm talking about Kurt Jurgens as Stromberg in The Spy Who Loved Me. And I'm talking about um, Christoph Waltz in um, Spectre. And I'm talking about Jonathan Price as Elliot Carver, who didn't really go for enough. And consequently, seems that they have been subsumed by the size of the task and the size of the performance of you playing Blofeld, Christoph. And these are great actors, but they've not quite gone for anything. Michael Lonsdale does. He has the chat. You, re- you return... Um, I can't remember what he says, but something about an unwanted season. It's beautiful. There's a, a little laugh in that. And he has a sort of um, disappointed feel. It's all a bit beneath him that he has to work with this ridiculous James Bond. And when they, when James Bond brings M and the other cohort to, um, to the room in which he says the nerve serum is being created... And they find that it's been put back beautifully and it's just a beautiful, uh, ornate room with, with Michael Lonsdale there. And he, he says, I, I really don't understand your... You're both wearing gas, gas masks. I don't understand your quaint British customs. There's always that kind of separation. He has a beautiful death as well, actually. He is sucked out of the space station, which is great. You've got to have a good death. Another situation with Spectre. Don't just have Christoph Waltz playing Blofeld, just um, crawling down the down the road. You need to have a good death, and Drax does have one. But it is his. You don't expect him to play disappointed and a bit modest and a bit tired, and it's lovely. It's almost completely reactive. He's not what you would expect a modern industrial titan to be. He's the opposite of that. And it works beautifully because there's so much going around it, really. I mean, you have Lois Childs, who didn't do much after this, as the unfortunately named Holly Goodhead, who is a CIA agent, not Chartered Institute of Accountants, but there you go, you know. And she's quite feisty. So, you know, you've got the kind of um, judo chop stuff. She does all that. She fights men. She beats men. Roger Moore is constantly surprised at that. And it's good that they're doing that. Shame they called her Goodhead. Real shame. And you've got Jaws back. They didn't. They weren't expecting to bring him back, but he was so successful, they did. And thank goodness they did, because Richard Keel is a lot more of an actor than people think. His reaction shots, particularly in the scene where he's just about to go over the waterfall, grabs the um, the steering wheel, pulls it off. Beautiful look. He does that very well. The cable car stunt. If you haven't seen it, why not? I've seen a little bit about um, the jump from one cable car to the other. They fight on top of the cable cars, of course. 
um, he and Bond, and the stuntman saying, well, you couldn't really put any kind of uh, harness on it. So we just did it, we just jumped. <laughs> well, that's, uh, oh, blimey. And they allow him to, 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 they allow him to have a, a line. Well, here's to us. He finds love, and it should look ridiculous, because, you know, the person who is, um, the person who is, is his love interest is small, has the glasses on, all of that, you know, it's, uh, it's Dolly Blanche Ravelac, and she looks lovely, you know, and I don't understand why they fall for each other, but it is actually very sweet, it's very nice. There is some, there, there is some kind of, um, some kind of dodgy stuff, you know, they'd started with the kind of, um, you know, they, you've got the theme from the Magnificent Seven in here, if I remember rightly. You know, you've got, um, as he arrives at a, with his poncho on to do the kind of uh, cue um, gadgets, really. There aren't a lot of gadgets here because the gadgets mainly are about the stuff in space. Okay, so the stuff in space. This is the elephant in the room. It's done really well. When they find, when they get into their Moonraker craft and go where everybody else is going, the reveal of the space station, a huge, huge world in space, which is just slowly revealed as the shadow, as the shadow comes to light and the music swells. That's beautifully done. There is an aerial battle with two sets of astronauts that could look ridiculous with laser guns and it works really well it's beautifully filmed you know this is Lewis Gilbert who knows what he's doing the budget was 34 million which was a lot it was twice as much as the film before it Spy Who Loved Me but you can see what you're getting the stuff on the on the space station is a bit cardboard and paper to be honest, but they by that time they've set it up, and there's lots of things with emergency stop button, you know that kind of thing. But they set all this up so well that it works. You don't mind because you've already seen it. You can see where the money has been spent here, and the last um, scenes with him, with them both, in the, the escape pod, and uh, trying to chase the three pods with the nerve gas going to wipe out everybody of course and then start again the three pods with the nerve gas that are um approaching earth and he has to follow them like a video game really and shoot them it's really even though you've seen it several times it's really quite thrilling to be honest particularly when the automatic firing fails and he has to do it himself poor blimey and then you do have the final beautiful scene. Really well done. Directed very well, actually, because he's turned away, Q, Desmond Llewellyn, looking at another screen when they're patching in to America and the president and the queen, and they're in coitus, floating, because it's no, no gravity there. What's Bond doing? The line, I think he's attempting re-entry, sir. Beautifully done. He's not even looking at it. That's the gorgeousness of it. And that's the gorgeousness of Q. He's never quite in. Which is why, when you get him in Octopussy, coming in and and taking action, it's not quite right. 
This, I suppose, is one of the last hurrahs of that kind of large amounts of money and late 70s champagne and all the rest of it um, lifestyle. I think there is, I think the last hurrah really for these kind of movies uh, before we move into Dalton and then Pierce Brosnan is a view to a kill actually, which I think I've reviewed before and would have been such a much better film if Dalton or actually Sam Neill, who also um, screen tested for that, had got the part or had been in that movie. But this one has some very good work in it, actually. Some very good acting, some a bit too much comedy, to be honest. Um, a bit too much zeitgeisty stuff. It's almost as if they said, we're gonna go with the guy for the guy for the for the, the zeitgeist, the guidevist, the zeitgeist, the zeitgeist with the Star Wars stuff. So let's just put some other stuff in there. That really doesn't work for me. However, it's a real romp, this. Made for 34 million, grossed 210. Yeah, that's a slight profit. And they don't go to too many places. There is, though, a very nice, it's nicely constructed in that you do have the kind of um, gold finger um, sporting middle bit, which is when Drax, who's had James Bond at his country retreat, asks him to take part in some kind of grouse shooting. He's already said, make sure he comes to some sort of harm. And as the grouse are released, James Bond shoots and he said, you missed. Did I? And then the bloke falls out the tree. And Lonsdale sees it. Drax sees it. He can't miss it. And his face is a picture. He's angry and surprised and intrigued all at at once. There is some fantastic work, and it's and I suppose it's all on a bit of a knife edge here. There were budgetary issues, and we don't go to as many places as we might expect to see Bond go to. But the story is is pretty. Um, there is a nasty scene in Venice, to be honest, with a kind of um, double taking pigeon and a bloke, a drunken bloke, Alfie Bass. Yeah, never ideal. Not even in Bootsy and Snudge, you know, looking over. Consumptive man, I think he's called on the on the titles. Yeah, looking over doing. <laughs> yeah, he's not got anything anything pinned down at all there. And then a bloke, you know, as as a gondola comes out of the sea and then can go on dry land because it's a Bond vehicle. Somebody who's in a, in a bar looking at their um, looking at their bottle of of wine, saying, "Well, I really should give this up." All of that, you know, the kind of stuff you've seen on Benny Hill to be honest. The film's visuals, rightly so, were nominated for an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. Quite right, because you know what? They look really good, and this earned more money than any Bond film until GoldenEye. It's got some good stuff, you know. It's got enough stuff that you think, I remember this. It's got some new stuff. And it's got some really good acting in it. It is a five out of five because it is the last hurrah. And Michael Lonsdale makes a superb villain. Almost as good as Christopher Walken, but not quite. Ta-ta.